Happy Friday, all. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Chief Product Officer at OpenVault. Today, we're going to delve into the complexities and advancements of Docs 3.1, a cornerstone of modern broadband networks that continues to evolve in response to our growing network needs. In this session, we're going to navigate through the latest vendor innovations aimed at enhancing Docs 3.1 capabilities. Examine, examine key findings from OpenVault's OVBI report and discuss strategies for managing the increasing volumes of data traffic. And now it's time to introduce a man whose name is synonymous with cable systems and DOCSIS technology. He's not just a major, master of modulation and a wizard of wavelengths, he's also been known to coax the coax cables into submission with nothing but his tiny calves and a well-placed <laughs> spectrum analyzer. Ladies and gentlemen, the legend, John the Bandwidth Battler Downing. John, it's an honor to have nice. you with us today. How are you doing? <laughs> nice. <laughs> also, I'm a mathematician as well. <laughs> Don't forget it. <laughs> All right, John. Oh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hey, for everyone who's, who's on, please do join in the conversation with us today. Let us know where you're broadcasting from. Go ahead, put that in the chat window. It, for those who don't know, I'm broadcasting out of Atlanta, Georgia. John, where are you broadcasting from? Outside Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Outstanding. You haven't changed locations. No, no, I'm still here. <laughs> still getting warmer. It's starting to get a little bit warmer, which is nice. Uh, yeah, we're getting nice warm weather here today. It's going to get a little colder over the weekend, um, but spring is close on the heels. We are, uh, John, we're on episode 96. We are, we're getting really close right. to our, our 100th episode here, so looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to start off today by sharing just a taste of uh, Open Vault's 2023 Q4, uh, what they call their OVBI report. It just came out. It has some really interesting stats that I'm excited to share, and we'll kind of talk through these. It kind of uh, sets the stage for the, the state of what's been happening in our industry as far as subscriber growth. Um, and then this report is downloadable through openvault.com. It, it's based off of millions of subscribers' data and kind of how they build this, but I'm not going to go to details where they get collect all the data. A uh, lot of good data here. Let's get into the report. Um, the report itself, uh, again, you know, was covered uh, a couple of weeks ago, so anyone wants to get in all to the details, go ahead and download it. Oh. OVBI is what? Open Vault Broadband Industry? No. Well, hold on a second here. Mia's saying that uh, we have a that. streaming issue. I just want to make sure. I can like stream stuff. stuff at them. So. Yeah, no. It's not, there's something wrong. It's, a, it's an AT&T issue. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, one moment, please. Please stand by. <laughs> Uno momento. That's on, that's on too. I've checked everything. Any ideas? Mm -hmm. So, I'll tell you what, we're just going to keep going. Let's do this, and um, we will upload this after the stream in case, because we can't tell from here if it's actually streaming or not, but we are recording live. 
anyone chatting with us or no? I'm sorry? No. No one's going to chat with us? They won't be able to if they can't. So we're going to go ahead and just keep recording, and then we'll upload this recording after the show. So um, so we're going to go ahead and get into the OVBI report here, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. So if we want. Um, so open, uh, open, open Vault does this broadband inside report. You, um, this is their fourth quarter 2023 report. Uh, if you go to... OVBI, you'll see on or, or openvault.com, you'll see there's a, on their front page, you'll see there's a place where you can download this. Uh, the thing was also recorded, so there's a whole video recording. We had at the end, we had the fireside chat, we talked about the report. These are just some key slides that we want to go over. Um, one of the things, so some of the key highlights here is that uh, usage has grown. Um, we're hitting 600 gigabytes per month in the average household. One third of subscribers, so one out of every three people is now provisioned at a gigabit per month. Um, so, you know, gigabit speeds, uh, not a gigabit per month. So you, you're, that's something that is, I think, pretty impressive on Doxis networks that, um, that, you know, that's not only the take rate, but cable operators can provide that type of speeds. And we have a new well, type. I mean, what really, what really is in front of my eyes here is, I'm surprised one third of our subscribers can even get one gigabit per second. Like we've passed that many households. I know. Boxes three one. I was really, right? really shocked to see one. that number. And and then there's a new so so part of what um, Open Vault does is they look at like the different tiers, or the amount of consumption that we see on on the networks, and we talk about power users and and. You know, it wasn't long ago, I think it was about 2018 or 2019, where they started reporting on terabyte users, people that were consuming a terabyte per month. And these were the power users. Now we have users that are supposedly consuming five terabytes per month. And so these are like these are the new power users that we have. We've gone way past the one terabyte users. So five terabyte users are um, what we consider power users now. Um, so, so we'll, but but that's on the downstream. That's not on the upstream. We'll talk about what we consider power users on the upstream. So, you know, what's driving this, right? There's there's a lot of cord cutters. There's a, a lot of traffic that's being consumed. So we see a lot of the legacy video content that people would have set top boxes being migrated to over the top. Um, that that's one of the big factors. A lot of people are that used to have television sets that were just 1080p are now going to 4K t TVs and even 8K TVs or something that you know we're looking at. So that, you know, 1080p versus 4K, we've seen studies how 4K drives substantially more traffic on on the downstream. Uh, as you know it's ironic. You know what's ironic about that is the uh, we used to say if you build it they will use it or they will come like field of dreams, right? <laughs> So if you provide a higher speed, people will find out how to use it. The ironic thing about over-the-top video, it's ABR, adaptive bitrate. So if I give you faster speeds, it's going to adapt even higher right? because it knows you can handle it. So now that that quality might be even better because the end device is all uh, negotiated a better speed and you can handle it, so it's going to provide more speed. So you're still watching the same content, but maybe at a higher quality. 
Yes. You know, so that the bit rate doesn't have to drive itself down <laughs> to to abide by your slow speed. Now you have such a high speed, it just starts sl- slamming it in. Yep. So now you get a lot more content. And you have four or five TVs. Maybe you have your own DVR saving stuff. Um, people are doing the Peloton bikes and stuff like that, which is two-way. You know, you talk about upstream later, but the Peloton bike is downstream as well. So home exercise and stuff like that is driving it up as well. And even gaming. I mean, we think that gaming is like, well, that's just mouse clicks and things moving around. The actual actual game itself, playing the game doesn't consume a lot of bandwidth. But, you know, I'm a gamer. It seems like almost every time I log into my game, there's another, you know, two gigabyte up, uh, update to the game, 12 gigabyte update to the game. So those frequent updates, even though that's, you know, oh, what's, a, what's a few gigabyte here, when you spread it across yeah. your user base, those, those updates can, can start to add up as well. So I think all these things start to build upon themselves. Consumption itself is large, but yes, there's a lot of things that are going on. Um, so we talk about growth trajectory. So each household is, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're pro- projecting that each household is going to reach 700 gigabyte of consumption by the end of 2024. And again, you keep you keep looking at that trajectory. Every household will be at a terabyte of consumption by the end of 2028. So these these numbers just Think about the mind-numbing crush that this has on all of our networks and what we have to do to compensate for it. So, um, you know, that pushes us more and more on what we have to drive to on expanding our networks and and adding to how we can support this amount of data. Um, Now, so looking again back to fourth quarter 2018 compared to now, the percentage of power users has increased by 437%. Now, and these are just power users. We talked about that one terabyte. Superpower users, those five terabyte users that I mentioned, has increased by over 1,000%, 1,285% to be precise. This is a significant change in our networks to, to accommodate these five ter- you know, both one terabyte and five terabyte users, a significant increase. And I think you know, this is really what we're seeing is a change in our networks from cord cutting, people using different applications, and, and also content creators. So um, you know, we talked about this earlier, John, um, people that are doing like something what you and I are doing right now. When we're so I'm I'm transmitting a 4K stream to YouTube. That 4K stream requires 12 megabits per second in in order to deliver that stream to YouTube. And and YouTube really encourages all their content creators to do 4K streaming. But I'm also sending a secondary stream to YouTube to their backup stream. Um, so that means I'm streaming 24 megabits per second to to YouTube just for this stream. I could also be sending it to Facebook and, and to other to Twitch, to other networks if I wanted, which some people do if when they're doing games and, and different type of content creation. So it's very easy to start sending a lot of upstream data and become easily become one of those you know super users or super power users. Just doing something like this. And if we do that for an hour, which we t- tend to talk for an hour when we do this, 
it's very easy to start tying up the upstream pretty darn significantly. Hey, we, we, you and I did the math earlier and we said, you know, uh, if you did three hours a day, let's say you're doing this every single day and that's your, your livelihood, right? Right. You're doing it three hours a day at 24 megabits per second, um, uh, 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, uh, 30 days in a month. And we, you know, we said that basically gets you to a terabyte. So you could end up hitting a terabyte in the upstream, not the downstream, but the upstream <laughs> by doing 24 megabit per second every second for three hours every single day. Um, so, I mean, that does uh, add up quite a bit. I mean, no one's really – you wouldn't think people are doing that much. But the one thing that was interesting to me also is you said 2018 to now. You know what happened sort of in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> was COVID. COVID hit, and that really drove everyone to do stuff from home. So here we are, you know, doing a lot more stuff from home. Uh, providing more speed. I thought it was also funny about, you know, there was always a fight between storage and speed. Do I store content at home or proxy servers to eliminate bottlenecks and speed problems? Or has speed been increasing enough that I don't need to put storage at my house? Right. You know, just keep it centrally located and I'll just access it with my higher speed. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, that's always been kind of a balance and memory and storage seems to be getting cheaper and cheaper as well. Right. Smaller and cheaper little storage devices. Um, and maybe that'll come up again. Maybe uh, there'll be a, a, a happy medium where it's like, yeah, maybe I can do my save a little bit more at my house. So if there are certain times of day where I need some speed, but maybe I don't really need all that content because I got half of it already or, I don't know. I, I think there'll be a balance there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, I think you mentioned a couple of cool things. So, you know, how many content creators are out there? How many people are actually doing this daily? I think there's actually more and more people who actually do find the ability to make a living off of YouTube. That's not us, right? I mean, we, we yeah. do this like once a month and, and we're in a pretty niche market. But there are people who actually do make a living off of YouTube or make a living off of Twitch and or maybe they're just streaming daily because they like to game daily and stream on a Twitch. Um, so whether you're making a living or you just do it as a hobby, I think there are actually people who do this daily and and that's that's the reality of it. And that creates a lot of upstream traffic. The other aspect of it I, I think that's interesting is there's a lot of products out there that are like NAS, network attached storage devices that people use for backing up photos, for backing up their content creation stuff. So, and just like this, every video that I make, I save to my NAS, but I also think, oh, what happens if my house burns down? So that all gets back, everything that's backed up to my NAS gets backed up to a cloud service. So, you know, every night that NAS is backing up and all of its data. And I know there's a lot of other people that probably do the same thing. Um, definitely the younger generation is likely doing this type of thing, backing up computers, backing up services like that. So all those are just, it might be a little bit of noise because it's not a significant amount of data, but it is, again, it's just adding to that upstream where these are all services that we didn't have previously consuming our upstream. So we know we have these five terabyte users on the downstream, but the upstream is something that we're really, really starting to see a lot more congestion on. And if we look at this next slide, it starts to talk about that. So we have these five terabyte users on the downstream, but 
what I like about this slide is it talks about this new um, one terabyte upstream um, users. So the the extreme power users consume on average 6.6 terabytes of downstream and nearly one terabyte of upstream data. And that I think is is where we're really starting to see um, additional pressure on on the upstream of the network. And I think that's something when we talk about DOCSIS 3.1, expansion to 85 megahertz or to 204 megahertz, that's really, really going to be important in our upstream. And it will probably be the first thing that starts to push cable operators to DOCSIS 4.0 because they're going to, they're, that, that upstream utilization of these superpower users is eventually going to saturate the upstream. And we're going to say, you know, is, is DOCSIS 3.1 enough for us or do we have to go beyond 204 megahertz? And I'm really interested, John, in, in what your thoughts are and also for our viewers. Like, what are you seeing in your networks? Are you seeing the upstream start to become congested? Will you, will, do you think 204 megahertz is going to be enough? And if so, for how long? Is this one, uh, I don't know if it's chicken and egg or a horse before the cart or what, or a cart before the horse or one of those type of metaphors or sayings. Um, we want to add more downstream capacity. And one of the reasons why we want to add more speed in general is usually for marketing concerns. It might not have anything to do with what's really needed. It's wanted, but maybe it's not really needed. So we want to keep up with competition. We want to say we can offer one gig symmetrical or maybe three, five gig on the downstream just because our competitors are saying it. Now, whether or not we need it is a different story, but we want to be able to get there quickly and easily, which is why we're going down that route of 3.1, a little bit extended past 3.1 with more capacity in the modem. Uh, Doxus 4.0 is what will be the savior, I think, for upstream. So if upstream really does become a problem, I mean, I've been trying to preach and push, evangelize DOCSIS 3.1.204 high split. Right. So that alone could get me that one gig upstream offering. One gig per second seems like the holy grail, you know, my panacea. Um, how do I get to that point? Um, that's where we want to get to with the 3.1 because the modems are already in the market. They support it. And I get I just need more upstream spectrum and I get offer one gig upstream speed. The numbers you're throwing out there could be a few years down the road where these superpower users and more people doing more upstream content, they might need more than one gigabit per second, which they might not even need one gig, but the more people that share that one gig pipe, the more congested it gets. That's a big We're problem. Still- I mean, that's that's really the heart of the issue, right? It's it's you have these really these superpower users and they're consuming the entire pipe which means everyone else that wants to use that pipe now it's it's a shared pipe and and that causes issues for everyone so it's like we say you know well a little bit of noise can ruin it for everyone well a, a few power users or even one power user can ruin it for everyone and that's where when we look at how how do we size that pipe we we have to size it in in mind that we could have power users on there that you know, during that period of time that they're doing their content creation or whatever it is that they're doing, that's going to impact all the other users on that upstream. I mean, let's let's run a, a scenario here where you just mentioned 24 megabit per second, which doesn't sound that bad. Right. Um, 
let's say you do have a, uh, a couple power users that want to use 50 megabits per second for whatever reason. You get 20 users, you're at one gig. <laughs> so you're trying to sell that pipe to probably 250 to 300 homes past if your node sizes are smaller now. Um, so having 20 users all at the same time doing this could easily happen. I mean, <laughs> you could have some event out in the middle of the field where they're doing Frisbee football or whatever, and a bunch of people are filming it and, and all in the same hot spot, uh, and they're all trying to do the same 4K quality. Uh, yeah, you could, you could hit <laughs> – remember how college towns were. We're always worried about college towns. You know, just a lot more power users in a college town. Well, again, and remember my what I was mentioning earlier. When when I do the 4K stream, I I only send it to YouTube. But if I I could simultaneously send it to YouTube, Facebook, um, Twitch. I, I mean, there's multiple streaming services that you could send it to, and that just increases. That's like 12 megabit, 12 megabit, 12 megabit. Yeah. <laughs> Each one's going to be 12 megabit per second that you're going to be sending it to. So, yeah, I mean, one user could easily take up your your entire pipe if you're on a 42 megahertz return and you just have a very narrow return and and you're going to be scratching your head it's like what happened to my capacity it went away very quickly that's that can happen with content creators and that's the reality we have today well, well, you mentioned 42. How, heck, we were just saying numbers for 204. Yeah, I know. You know, even at 204, we know we can probably offer 1.5 gigabit per second with a 204 megahertz upstream split, assuming DOCSIS 310, FDMA, all optimized, all that. Uh, but 1.5 gigabit per second sounds like a lot, but that could be used up quickly as well, which I think is what we're trying to always prepare. What's the next step? And that's why DOCSIS 40 came out, really for upstream concerns. Doxus 4.0 wasn't a downstream issue, it's an upstream issue. Right. You know, part of Doxus 4.0 was extended spectrum, but the only reason why we talk about extending the downstream spectrum is because we need to extend the upstream spectrum. Right. And that eats into the downstream. So we had to ex- we want to extend the downstream as well. So the next slide that I have, um, this slide is I found really, really intriguing as well. And, I, and this is the last slide that I have from the OVBI report. Um, the orange line shows the traffic utilization uh, throughout the day. And, and this, John, so you mentioned COVID. This is post-COVID. This is kind of like the world that we have since then. The orange line is the commercial or business utilization. Kind of what we would expect, right? There's not much utilization until we hit about 7 or 8 a.m. in the meeting, in the morning. And then around 4 or 5 p.m., that utilization drops off because people leave the businesses. The blue line on the top is what we see for residential usage. And this line has really, really changed post-COVID, where we're kind of seeing that during the daytime, that residential traffic never drops off. And in fact, the residential traffic exceeds what we see in the business utilization. And that, that's a big change for us. Now, of course, in the residential, we see the big spike that we've always historically seen from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., but our daytime utilization does not drop off on our residential networks like it used to. You know, when everyone would go to work, all the kids would go to school, 
that's just not dropping off the way we expected it to. So on our residential networks, we don't get a break. Our business networks post-COVID are actually back to where they used to be, where, well, not quite where they used to be, but we are still getting, we're still getting a lot of traffic on our business networks. The, I guess the, the short end of the story here is that we still have to maintain capacity on our business networks and we have to maintain continuous traffic on our residential networks because there's still enough people working at home and you know constantly being at home, which are probably business people doing you know, stuff like you and I are doing. You and I are both at home um, doing YouTube streams, working, things like that. And we need good quality of service, good quality of experience on our networks in order to do this type of, of work that we're doing. There's definitely a lot more people doing hybrid work, right? Yeah. Go in, maybe go in the office two, three times a, a week and then working from home most of the times. You know, uh, the more people get uh, faster access at home, the more the companies realize it's a benefit for everybody. Yes, so I, I think these changes on the networks, um, you know, I think we were in a fortunate position going into COVID. I, I've had people mention, um, and I, I even know Mia's mentioned uh, a, a few times how we had external factors like Google Fiverr pushing us um, to make our networks faster, to support gigabit speeds. That was, that was fortunate for us going into COVID. We hit COVID, we had to expand our networks faster. And that put us in a good position post-COVID because here we are still with a lot of traffic coming into our home networks. And it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. I think this is definitely the new reality that we're continuing to go. So just a reminder for everyone, um, I just took a few, few highlights from OpenVault's Broadband Insights report, the OVBI report from uh, fourth quarter 2023. I do recommend if uh, there's a lot more detail in there, so go to openvault.com. Uh, on the main page, you'll see there's an opportunity to download the report and also download the video to, to see the full content there. A lot of good information in that report. Um, so, John, you and I for a while have been talking about Doxus 3.1, Doxus 3.1 Extended. We joked about, <laughs> joked about how Doxus, or you, you can't coin uh, Doxus 3 Pi, so like the Doxus 3.14. Light Reading had a nice article that just recently came out where they were talking about how um, both the major chip makers, Broadcom and Max Linear, are working to push Doxus 3.1 out further than what it is. Uh, I think we're still waiting to see. Uh, if Broadcom comes out with their 30, the BCM 3392, which is their uh, enhanced 3.1 chipset that's going to support multiple OFDM and maybe OFDMA channels. John, I think you may have some more information on that. I, I don't know. And uh, Max Linear is coming out with their Puma 8 chipset, which is, um, I, I believe, supposed to do the same. And really, it's just to to give us more, you know, give us something additional capacity on our 3.1 networks. As we saw in the OVBI report, we need as much as we can get on both the downstream and the upstream. So, John, your thoughts on that? Do you think that we're going to get extension on DOCSIS 3.1 or operators going to have to go directly to DOCSIS 4.0? I, I think the, uh, the wallet <laughs> is what dictates a lot of things. And uh, I can get a cheaper upgrade and faster downstream speeds that I can market and sell and keep uh, competition at bay um, by easily giving the modem a little bit more capacity. You and I talked about 
Uh, how do we do it today? Well, three one modems in the market today are eight downstream, eight upstream single carry qualms, or I mean 32, 32, 32. downstream and eight upstream single carry qualms. And then OFDM, OFDMA is two by two. Yep. So two blocks of downstream, two blocks of upstream. That's it. That's the capacity of the chipset in modems today. So, well, how could we get faster speed to my house? Well, you and I talked about put two modems in the house, tie them together somehow with an external router. Or some duct tape, some bailers twine. Yeah, 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 exactly. We'll make it work. So we could provide 10 gig to the house, but not per modem, not per application or whatever. And no one needs that, right? But maybe people wanted to see 10 gig at the house. Right. I could have done that with multiple modems, but would it be better just to put a chipset in the, the single modem that could bond more than two right. OFDM? So we said, hey, let's call it three about one four for Pi. <laughs> you know, just play on that number. And what's funny is we're looking at one, it's not ratified or anything, but Doxus 3.1e. And when I put the three one E together, it looks like it says Pi. <laughs> <laughs> so it always looks like it says pi yeah d pi <laughs> so uh this is really to not change the split but change the chipset inside the 3392 broadcom chip or max linear's chip that way i can do more downstream capacity upstream capacity is not going to change because the high split spectrum is still going to be 204 so the two blocks of ofdma i'm already full anyway on the upstream i don't need more blocks of upstream because it's not going to fit Right, but they're not changing any of that. And, and the upstream spectrum is not going to change until DOCSIS is four O. So we're locked Correct. at three two o four megahertz upstream with DOCSIS three one. Yep, and then I just need more capacity. I don't really don't even care if I go to one point eight. I could stick with the three dot one one point two gigahertz downstream band edge, but I just need more blocks that I could bond together to get more per modem speed. Right, at least you know four. Four or five five blocks, I can get very close to 10 gigabit per second. Me and Jason Miller used to run those numbers and optimized uh, maybe 4K qualm, you know, 4096 qualm, uh, which is, I know it's a pipe dream, but it works in some cases. Uh, 25 kilo carrier spacing. Each block of 192 megahertz gets me like 1.9 gig. That's not so bad. So very close to 2 gig. So five times two is 10 gig. So so that would be very close to the number we've been pushing for Cable Labs 10 gig, 10G solution, right? Right. Um, upstream would still be limited and relegated to one gigabit per second. But downstream, we could really push that to eight, nine, 10 gig or close to it. So that's what the, the interim solution would be is come out with this cheaper style, uh, less expensive modem before Doxus 4.0 is fully baked and put out in the field. Um, so I, the other thing we talked about was I can keep the modem cost down and keep it from getting obsolete on the Wi-Fi side if I separate those devices. Right. So the modem does its thing, and I have an external router and Wi-Fi device that's external to the modem. Because those two technologies sometimes are not in sync. Now, what's, what's the reason up. for separating them, though? Because the Wi-Fi is like might be your limiting bottleneck, and oh, yes. and if you lock into and Wi-Fi five six whatever, and we upgrade the modem to faster speeds, but the Wi-Fi can't do it, th then what are you going to do? So I can get the modem out quicker to the market with faster speeds, and then maybe the external router Wi-Fi catches up a month later or two months later, or I let you buy your own, right? Yes, because I, I may want to have my own Wi-Fi. I mean, I prefer to have my own Wi-Fi network rather than use the, the, the Wi-Fi that's built into the modem. So that's that's something that 
might actually be beneficial. And it, it would also, I would think, make the modem a little more cost effective if you're not adding that additional Wi-Fi hardware in there. Yeah, I mean, the Wi-Fi, what is Wi-Fi 6? Maybe 600 megabits per second? And, already, like and they already have like Wi-Fi 7 <laughs> coming out yeah. as well, too. So I mean, you, yeah. you're stuck with a modem that has Wi-Fi 6, and now Wi-Fi 7 comes out. You could upgrade already if they're not part of it. So I could, uh, I, I see a lot of benefits of not having Wi-Fi as part of the modem. Yeah, and then, then that begs the question is, how do you connect them, right? You, you can send a lot more speed to the modem, but how does it come out of the modem? If it's a one gig port, you're only going to get like nine hundred megahertz per second after you do Ethernet overhead and all that. Uh, you, there's two point five gigabit per second ports now, and you'll see a ten gigabit per second port. But the faster the port, usually the more expensive it is too. And there's also so, heat issues with that. I mean, ten yeah, ten gig ports start to generate heat as well. That and if you put the Ethernet ports and router on an external device. The modem only needs one port, maybe two, a one gig and maybe a 10 gig or a 10 gig that can be uh, uh, auto sensing or something weird. You know what I mean? Yep. But you still got to, if it's a 10 gig and that's all it is, and then you have to hook it up to a Wi-Fi device that doesn't have a 10 gig port, you're like, oh. You're wasting, you. you're just throwing away money, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, heat. yeah, I always think about like, all right, what are my limitations? All right, I have my plant. I have my CMTS, my CPE could be the limitation, the chipset, then the Ethernet port coming out, then the Wi-Fi going out of that. It's like, where is my bottlenecks? The Wi-Fi is going to be a bottleneck, but at that point, you're going to different computers. Yep. You're not sending 10 gig to one computer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, it's shared throughout the house, and that's yeah. That's really the challenge with it is, is you've got so many users. So the Doxis network is capable of sustaining it is your Wi-Fi network capable of sustaining it because so i could see that actually being a problem with not having wi-fi as part of the modem when you start allowing the end user to provide their own wi-fi you're giving them a really fat pipe but now you could be constrained on the wi-fi side if they're not setting up their wi-fi properly and they might say you know what i'm going to put a uh, a router behind it and i'm going to hook up four wi-fi devices you know, or, you know, yep. it's not an individual Wi-Fi device. It's three or four. It's a Wi-Fi mesh, mesh network. Yeah, yeah, a mesh network or something. So, interesting. So, that's that's interesting developments. So, again, what um, are we going to are we gonna get these chips, do you think? What's the timeline? Have you heard any rumors? I mean, I, I think through the, the grapevine, you hear rumors here and there, and there's already some trials and stuff like that. Um the, the, the big, what, modem vendors, um, SA, Cisco, Technicolor. Technicolor broke off their movie business, Technicolor movies and yep. stuff. And their modem business, now they call their modem business Vantiva. So they have a new name called Vantiva. And so Vantiva is working on something. UB, uh, they're working on something. Sagecom. Um, so, yeah, you'll talk to some modem vendors and they're – just working on uh, getting the proof of concept, uh, getting together with the MSOs, uh, make sure it is going to work. But from the Cisco side, when I worked for Cisco, uh, I was employed. I wasn't working. <laughs> I was employed by Cisco. I, uh, I knew it was going to really be a function of the CMTS or cloud native to be able to do that scheduling because we never had code that could bond more than two OFTM with 32 single carrier qualms. 
So what's the so now, what's the what's hard about that? Why is it difficult to? Is that just a matter of adding code to bond more than two? Yeah, it's a matter of adding code. Yeah, okay. it's code. We used to joke say, "Yeah, it's just a line of code out of a million <laughs> million lines of code." That's <laughs> one more line. Yeah. So you know, a number of the cable operators are moving forward with Doxus 4.0 um, and doing deployments. We we know. Comcast is doing that. Uh, other operators are doing that. Charter has seemed like they're going to be pulling back a little bit on Doxus 4.0 deployments. Um, what do you think the reason is that some operators are moving forward and, and some are being a little bit hesitant with Doxus 4.0 deployments? It's a crystal <laughs> ball. Between us two. Between <laughs> us two. I think it's uh, when you're a publicly traded company, you got to watch what you say. Yeah. You know, and you say things that you kind of mean. <laughs> and I think, you know, Comcast, they put a lot of their eggs into FDX and they're going to push the FDX, which is fine. And they have some trials that show some promising returns. And, and that might be under some controlled situations, controlled experiments, a controlled situation. Obviously, they even know it's not going to work everywhere. We know FDX is not going to work in rural America right. where I have an amp cascade, you know. And they might even to take one step further, and this is the part you're not hearing a lot about, is this Doxus 4.0 Unified. My my gripe all along was I want to upgrade my cable plant, outside cable plant, one more time and retire and not have to worry about different splits. So I want to upgrade my cable plant that it can handle different splits in the future, maybe automated, maybe a, a, a swinging diplex filter or, or something that's not going to hamstring me now, right? I don't want to rip stuff out on the pole and five years later I have to change it again. So I want to be able to support FDX. I want to support uh, a 396 upstream, a 684 upstream. I want to be able to move that around. So I want my plant to be done. I want the taps to be done. Hopefully the coax cable can handle it. But the CPE, am I going to force a customer to buy an FDX modem and an ESD, Doxus 4 modem? Or can I get a modem that can do both? You know, and that, that's where you have economies of scale, right? That's why we have Doxus to drive the prices down to have a, a, a common uh, specification, so everyone builds the same thing, and, and then it's just uh, cookie cutter. And then you start mass producing them, and then it drives the prices down. Um, so this unified Doxus idea is kind of cool too, where maybe it's not truly FDX, where you have upstream and downstream at the same frequency at the same time, uh, which is full duplex, but maybe I can have a uh, the downstream today is always on. Can I have the CMTS or the, the cloud native device scheduled downstream from 108 all the way up to 700 megahertz when it's needed? And then when the upstream is needed, it can change it. So the CMTS is like, oh, I'm not going to have always on an OFDM, OFDM block from 108 all the way up. From 108 to 684, I might turn it off. And then I now allow people on the upstream to do OFDMA from 85 to 684. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a, a flexible upstream downstream that's moving, you know? Upstream's easy because upstream's scheduled, but downstream's always been on all the time. So how do we make the CMTS smarter to make the downstream bursty? If you, if you will, not really bursty, but you understand what I'm saying, right? No, absolutely. So I I mean I think you you covered a number of reasons that there are probably keeping a lot of executives up at night and technical people as well. Uh, Chris Topazi, just uh, you know, friend of ours at uh, Cox, just wrote an article yeah. for Broadband Library about why is OFDMA so hard? Um, so that 
just just came out. So anyone um, check out the broadbandlibrary.com website. You'll see Chris's article on OFDMA. Why is it so hard? If we think about just Docs 3.1, anyone who's deployed Docs 3.1, OFDM, and OFDMA wasn't necessarily easy. I mean, we had growing pains with that. Docs 4.0, whether it's FDX or even if it's extended spectrum, that we're going to have trouble with that. It's not going to be easy the first time. So when, like some of the things you mentioned, John, about just, you know, whether or not if you can have a more mature chipset or a chipset that has both FDX and ESD in it, um, that's just going to be more optimal. So the more I could wait as an executive to see other operators getting the kinks out of this, and waiting for the cost of the modems to come down, the cost of the CMTSs to come down, just all of this road to be cleared and the issues to be resolved for me, the better position I'm in to spend my dollars as a cable operator, as a cable exec. So that's where I would want to be doing. Let someone that's else get burned before I get burned. <laughs> <laughs> Let someone else be the guinea pig. Absolutely. You know, like, and it's the same with R&D. You could spend a lot of money on research and development design, uh, and then someone else steals your intellectual property, your IP, and then builds the same exact thing a lot cheaper. So you know that's why it's critical to uh, you know work together, I think, and uh, get something out in the market that the market can use. Um, yeah. So, so whether I, or not we get you know a Doxis three point one extended version or not, I think. I think every operator should push 3.1 as far as it can, and then when 4.0 is mature, jump on 4.0, unless you absolutely have to now, or want to be the guinea pig. You know, Some people like to be early adopters. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking that path and, and blazing <laughs> it down for us, because we need someone to do that. Some people will make the argument that 3.96 split on the upstream might be the perfect. The sweet yeah, spot. Five, ten years. Yeah, might be the sweet spot. So I'm not doing FDX. I'm not adding complexity of echo cancellation and all that stuff. You know, interference zones and transmission groups and all that stuff. Um, but able to hard set maybe my diplex voter. If I have new technology that allows me not to do that huge diplex voter. Remember we said the higher you set up your upstream, the more there's no man's land in the diplex voter. Yes. It's about 25%. So a 396 upstream is going to be like 100 megahertz of lost spectrum for your diplex motor. Whereas newer technologies is looking at maybe doing um, sort of like echo cancellation, um, but no diplex motor at all. Right. The utilization of directional couplers for isolation and setting up their gain and loss so there's no runaway oscillations and stuff like that. Um, so there's ways to get around maybe not even have a diplex motor. Yeah, and you start to start to make things a little bit easier and, and optimal then. So I, I, I like that concept. All right, John. So we've gone through the OVBI report. We talked about DOCSIS 3.1. We talked about maybe an optimal path to DOCSIS 4. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? I just want to see if there's anything else we talked about for, you know, the 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 speeds. We talked about Ethernet ports, right? What are the limitations? It could be the Fi chip. It could be the Wi-Fi. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know of anything else in that regard. Um, 
Any any uh, conferences coming up you're going to? I am going to the Cable Labs Winter Conference. It's in uh, Florida, Florida? Uh, on end of Florida. Yeah, the end of end of March. the month end of yes. March. Okay. All right. I think uh, Technetics will be there. I, I don't know that I'll be going, but uh, uh, I know they'll be there. Great. Um, and then the the report you just showed today. Did you present that in Colorado? No, we did that as a webinar. Um, so we did a web- webinar, I think, last week or the week before. So okay. Yeah, you mentioned Fireside Chat, which reminded me of Cable Labs Envision or whatever the, yes. uh, the World Conference used to be. Yes. Yeah, All just right. a little social chat. So, <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks so much for your insights today. Your, your knowledge and wit are always greatly appreciated here. Um, we did not have uh, the live stream today, and I know why. So we will be broadcasting this out immediately afterwards. I hear Mia admonishing me. Mia, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for doing the, the the live stream with us here, or actually the not so live the stream. So, so I know everyone missed us here. Um, never fear. Drop your questions below. We'll do our best to answer them or include them in a future show. And speaking of future shows, don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you get notified of our upcoming shows. We will be back on March 8th with Ron Rannick, where he promises to dispel some more myths that we have in the cable industry. Yet another episode you won't want to miss. So mark your calendars, folks. So until then, thank you, John. Thank you, everyone, for watching, and take care. All right, tip.